just give you glory and praise. That's what it's all about, Lord. Holy Spirit, be with us today. Um, Speak to us the thing you need us to hear in this season in our lives, Lord God. Um, Give us the words you have individually and collectively for your church and for your people. In your holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16 says this. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing, but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it uh, under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it is given light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So what does it mean to be salt? Salt's an interesting word. Uh, you know, my dad had a heart attack at 39. That's young. For those that are medically caught up, 39 is pretty young for a heart attack. So basically growing up, I only ever remember having heart healthy dinners. Uh, so it was always the same thing, honestly. Um, it was uh, uh, iceberg lettuce salad and broccoli, usually was the vegetable, and uh, breaded, boneless, skin, skinless chicken breast. Like with homemade breadcrumbs. Not the kind that's like half salt, half bread, but homemade, stale bread in the blender, making your own breadcrumbs. And mom, I'm sorry, but the chicken was always dry. It was always dry, but because my dad had a heart attack and we were worried about heart health and, you know, salt, you call it the white death. It's just terrible for you. Uh, you can't have salt. It's bad for your kidneys. It's bad for your heart. So you never grew up. No salt shaker ever was on the table. We didn't grow up that way. And so when I got to be about 36, I decided that, you know, uh, I still had a little time left to start getting really focused on my health, you know, because if I'm going to have a heart attack at 39, we've got to get ahead of it. And so I, you know, I, you know, started making, you know, make doctor's appointments. If you don't have a primary care physician, go get one. If you're over 36 and you don't have a primary care physician, you're a ticking time bomb. I mean, just <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So I go to the doctor and I will first I tell my brother, I say, hey, listen, I'm going to never eat salt or sodium again. It's bad for you. Uh, I'm not doing it. And he's like, well, you can't not eat salt. I'm like, oh, we'll see. So then I go to my kidney doctor, my nephrologist, and I and I'm trying to strategize healthy practices with him. And I'm talking about this ketchup because they make this salt free ketchup. But it's got potassium in it instead of salt. So it's talking over the idea of, you know, should I be having this ketchup? Is it's because it's potassium, but I'm really avoiding the salt. I'm really concerned about how much salt is in this ketchup. And I just really need your professional opinion on on this. And he looks at me and he goes, how much ketchup are you eating? (laughs) Yes, sir. I understand. Thank you. I got a little bit crazy about how I was viewing it because I don't know if you know this, but having not enough salt is worse than having too much salt because too much salt will kill you eventually, but not enough sodium will kill you right now. So you have my permission. You got to have some salt. 
The salt is uh, very valuable. It's an essential element to us and our health. And it's uh, got a lot of value for many different reasons. So one reason is it's a great preservative. Especially before refrigeration, they would use salt to preserve meats and things like that to, to make them last a long time so they wouldn't spoil so you could still eat them. So who likes prosciutto? Yeah, some of you, right? So if you don't know what prosciutto is, prosciutto is like this thinly sliced pork product that's a, a lot like bacon but like more expensive if you go buy it at the deli. Um, but maybe here's a question. There's three ingredients in true prosciutto. Do you guys know what those are? Salt. This is a participation portion. Salt, pork, time. So uh, basically, prosciutto isn't even cooked meat. It's not even cooked. It's like you take a, a leg of ham off of a pig. You know ham comes from pig, right? They take a, a pig leg, smother it in salt, hang it in a warehouse for like a year, and then thinly slice that for you and sell it for like $10 a pound to you. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It was good before I watched that documentary. Now I'm not so sure. But salt makes everything taste better because salt actually brings out the flavor in the foods you put it on. So even if it's like Brussels sprouts, you put a little, a little salt on the Brussels sprouts and all of a sudden it's Brussels sprouts. Anything you put it on, it makes it taste better. It doesn't matter if it's barbecue. It doesn't matter if it's salted caramel. I mean, have you had chocolate covered bacon? Yeah, well, go try it. Salty bacon covered in wonderful sweet chocolate. It's amazing. But salt's got a bunch of other uses. You can use it to kill the weeds on the road. It kills poison ivy. You can smother grease fires with it, soothe bee stings, clean tarnished copper. There's like 14,000 uses for salt. It's a lot. I'm not going to go over all of them today. Um, but in the Old Testament, you also saw them using salt for ceremonial offerings. Um, Roman salt, and I, and I took about a half an hour to research this because I don't want to come up here and tell you some fancy thing I heard that's not even true. But apparently Roman soldiers were actually sometimes paid in salt or partially in salt. It was called a salarium. Sal being the Latin word for salt, it's where we get the word salary. Yeah, because it was so valuable that they actually sometimes paid Roman soldiers with salt. It's kind of like, you ever heard that expression, he's not worth his salt? Yeah. 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 You can't make prosciutto out of that guy. He's got enough salt in him. <laughs> not even worth it. Now I could turn each one of these examples into some spiritually deep symbolic message. But I think what's more important here is what did Jesus mean when he talked about salt? Not some cool thing that I can think of or research on the internet. What did Jesus try to say? What was he trying to say when he said these words? So Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall be, uh, how shall it be seasoned? It is good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Now, surprising to me, the exact meaning of this statement is actually uh, widely disputed uh, among scholars, but I really don't understand why. Uh, it's not a riddle. It's not a trick question. It's, it's really kind of an actually pretty basic point, I think, that Jesus is trying to make. What good is salt if it's not salty? 
No good. What good would Jesus' disciples be if they ceased to be a blessing and an example for Christ? No good. That's right. You can do it on, what's that, family feud? Why can't you do it for me? Come on, people. Just before Jesus told his disciples that they, uh, that, uh, just before this portion of scripture, Jesus told his disciples that they were going to be blessed if they were persecuted for his sake. He said, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. So don't use hardship as an excuse to act like a spoiled brat. And this is something I've seen. This is something I've done. Is that people will uh, be, they're good Christians. They do all the right things. And, and they show that, yeah, I go to church and I don't swear and all this stuff. Until something bad or uncomfortable happens in their life. And then all bets are off. But it's okay because they were scared or their car got wrecked or they lost their job or whatever. Whatever happened in their life, all of a sudden, that's somehow kind of a blanket excuse for not acting like a Christian anymore. That's what the world does. That's not what Christians are supposed to do. It says rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you're persecuted for Christ's sake. In Luke, Jesus concludes this teaching on uh, discipleship and bearing one's cross and forsaking all and following him. This whole section in Luke where Jesus is speaking, where he's talking about those really hard things like uh, being his disciple, bearing your cross, forsaking all. But he ends this section where he's teaching these things with Luke 14, 34 and 35. It says this, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, we see Jesus using this salt, not salty example to make a point. Uh, the example of uh, salt not having flavor, he's referring to being a proper disciple. He's talking about things like um, uh, discipleship and bearing your cross. And then he says, if the salt isn't salty, what good is it? Now again, it was recorded in the book of Mark. Jesus was teaching again, and this time he's teaching about going to great lengths to avoid sin in your life. And he ends with this, Mark chapter 9 is verse 50. He says, salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourself and have peace with one another. Again, Jesus is using this example of salt versus not being salty to instruct them on Christian behavior. Now, here's a, a, a section of Romans I want to read to you. In Romans chapter 12, my nose just itches. Is anybody else? Is it just me? It's having that mask on my face all day long. I'm just like, <sighs> sorry. I'm not just, don't be distracted. I, let it be me. Uh, I'm distracted on your behalf. So the section in Romans I want to talk about, and but first I want to kind of, because we're going to read the sections in Roman, and you've probably heard a lot of these things before. See, look at this. Oh. You probably heard a lot of this before, but I want you to take a moment and and hear it again and really evaluate yourself. Because I don't know if you know this, but um, a lot of studies, especially dealing with food and these other things, use self-reported data, and self-reported data is just com- is is very prone to being inaccurate. Why? Because somebody says, "How many servings of vegetable do you eat a week?" and you're like, "Oh, geez, you know." I mean, if I say two, I'm going to sound really bad. So, um, like seven. I was having a conversation with a couple of friends yesterday and we were talking about, you know, health and things like coffee and, you know, one person says, shouldn't drink coffee. Should you drink it in the afternoon? And I'm like, well, so I usually have two cups of coffee in the morning and then one in the afternoon. 
And that's how, how much I usually have. And because, you know, uh, a couple of cup, a cu- couple of cups of coffee a day is good. It's fine, right? It's good for you. Uh, find this study that says coffee is good for you. That's, that's the one I gravitate towards. But then when I was thinking about the size of the cup of coffee I drink, it's like, my, my cup's like, what did you mean by cup? Because mine is, is like a 16 ounce cup. So that's like, 15 ounces of coffee and I drink two of those and then another that's like 30 ounces in the morning and then another 15 in the afternoon it's like maybe you are drinking too much coffee maybe you are now I'm not giving up coffee that's not the point I'm trying to make here let's not even go there the point is is that I I was uh reporting my own behavior inaccurately because I wasn't using a good foundation. So let's look at uh, Romans chapter 12. We'll start in verse 9 and go to 21. It's a long section, but it's important. So when we're going through here, reflect on yourself and if your self-reporting would line up with this or not. It says this, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Starts out good so far. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high thing, um, on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peacefully with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will replace as the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, uh, give him a drink. For in doing so, you heap coals of fire on their head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Stop being so easily offended. It's it's a trend across all civilization at this point, not just in the church, but we see it definitely coming into the church that at least over the last five, ten years is this idea of being offended is almost honored and prized now. Do you realize, you probably do, do you realize that there is like this whole series of like social media YouTube videos about women named Karen, coincidentally... They're all named Karen, apparently, but they're like outraged and offended. So the minute somebody gets outraged and offended, everybody gets their phones out and records it. And a lot of times I'm watching it and I don't know if I'm supposed to be critical of the person filming or the person who's getting yelled at at the store. But either way, it's pretty embarrassing. I do not want to live a life where people film me with their phones. If I'm doing something and everybody whips out their phone, don't do that anymore. It's not good. Stop seeking retribution. You do not need to get them back. You do not need to retaliate. But this is this mindset we say, if we've been offended enough, if we've been hurt enough, if whatever happened to us meets the worldly standard of now it's okay for you to be freaked out about it, we somehow decide that it's okay. 
We'll get them back. Well, they did this to me first. That's not Christian behavior. That's not having salt in your life. Colossians chapter 4 verse 6. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Using scripture as a weapon to win your arguments is akin to taking the Lord's name in vain. Now, you see it on social media a lot because, honestly, social media is like a public forum. And when you get on social media and you post something, you might as well be yelling it into a bullhorn in the middle of the park. Really, because everybody can see it and hear it. It's not like the old days where you could get a little bit ornery and say something really stupid. And everybody's like, whoa, you can't say that. And only like five people heard it. You know, the list of apologies you have to make is really small. But when you do it on social media, hundreds of people will instantly see and hear this thing. And that, I mean, I think if people thought of it that way, they might interact differently. I mean, some, I mean, some things can go for thousands and thousands of people. And so when you look at your speech and you look about, is it honoring to the Lord? If you say it's seasoned with salt, then you got to think about that. You know, when you put a, when you take a scripture and you use it to shove it in somebody's face or shut them down, mic drop moment, like, well, Who's bringing, who's getting honor out of that? Who's getting the glory? Are they going to come closer to the Lord because you slapped them in the face with some scripture? Are they going to think better about Christians and Christianity? No. So who's getting the win on that? Kind of nobody, right? But God's certainly not getting the glory. Charles Spurgeon wrote, we are here as salt of the earth to be a blessing to the world. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. We are here to work for him and to work together with him. Being salty is living by the truth of the scriptures. When you start veering away from living like the scriptures tell you to, then you're not being salty anymore. And what happens when you're not salty? Yeah, you get thrown out, right? So what does it mean to be the light? Did you know this? You probably knew this. All this stuff you knew already, but bear with me. City lights are actually brighter than the stars. Even when you're viewing them from space, you're like, that seems uh, unrealistic. Well, part of the reason is stars are so far away. And part of the reason is their stars are pretty spread out. Think about it. They're all spread out. You see one star at a time. But a city, you see all the lights at the same time. So even from space looking down, a city like Las Vegas, the city of lights, is quite a bit brighter than the stars even from uh, out in outer space. Las Vegas sits 2,100 feet above sea level, and its lights are visible from eight different national parks. Wow. That's what I thought. That's, that's what I thought when I read that, too. It's the dominant cause of light pollution in Death Valley. Death Valley sits 282 feet below sea level and 135 miles away from Las Vegas, and it's dealing with light pollution from Las Vegas. There are, get this, follow me, there are 100 billion trillion stars in the known universe. 100 billion trillion in the known universe. But there's only about 5,000 that you can see with the naked eye on the clearest night. But uh, there's only one that can outshine Las Vegas. The sun, yeah. See, you guys paid attention in science class too. No, you didn't get that? But you got it this time, right? Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hilltop cannot be hidden. 
Nor do, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Las Vegas is in the middle of the Mojave Desert, like a little oasis. Clearly even seen from space. It's cool, you can Google it. Not now, but later afterwards. And uh, you can see the city, the, the satellite photo, and you can see like where the roads go, and you can see the border and the outline. It's, it's uh, pretty cool that you could see that from space like that. Uh, but again, let's not try to make this metaphor that Jesus is u- using about being the light more complicated than Jesus intended it to be. I think he's not creating some uh, riddle that you have to go find out. Think about this. What is a city on, like a city on a hill, what would that look like? I mean, think about it. It's a beacon of hope that can be seen for miles. It's a city that sits up high for the all surrounding area. Everybody can look up and see that thing there. And it's lights leading you to safety within the city walls. You'd be safe as opposed to out in the wilderness worried about what's out there in the dark. It's a refuge from your enemies. It's located in the most defensible position from attack. I mean, there's a reason why they call it the high ground. You put something up uh, up high, a city, a a wall, a refuge, and then people trying to attack that area, uh, it is very difficult to, to make the attack. It's very easy to repel the enemy attack when you have the high ground. That's why it's such a common military strategy. And that's why uh, in ancient times, that's why they would often put the city up on top of a hill for that very reason. It's, it promises community, relationship, protection, provision. These are things that the city offers that the dark of the wilderness does not offer. And he says, you are a city on a hill. Proverbs 18, verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe, literally set on high. Now, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He also told us where that light comes from. In John chapter 10 and John chapter 8, verse 12. It says, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. First John chapter one, verses five through seven says this. This is the message which we have heard from him, him being Jesus, and declared to you that God is light and and in him is uh, no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness... We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the Spirit, in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Jesus is the light, and in his light, it is his light that shines through us if we walk in his ways. So if you're living by the scriptures and you're walking in his ways, you are reflecting the light of Jesus that's inside of you as a Christian shining out. That's what the light is. When he says you're the light of a world and city on a hill, you're shining this light out for others to see. And you can be like a beacon of hope for others to draw them in and teach them who Jesus is. Show them that that light is, it can be theirs as well. This is what it looks like to be the shining light. The shining. Now, now tell me the truth. Did you like that title? Do you think it was clever? 
It's like the shining, and then this is like the light is shining. Because I figured if I named it like salt and light, like half of you wouldn't even show up. They'd be like, I heard that one. I heard that one. So the shining, you're probably like, oh, you know. No Jack Nicholson references. It's just to draw you in. This is what it looks like to be the shining light. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says this. Do all things without complaining and dis- uh, disputing. Ooh. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Think about that as being the shining light for Christ. Because honestly... When we're shining our light for for Christ, it, it can be for good or for bad. Because if if your behavior is bad, your light is shining, telling people, "Hey, my bad behavior is a reflective on a reflection on Jesus Christ." But if we were to do all things without complaining or disputing, we would become blameless and harmless in front of them. The world's going to look at you. And they're not going to be able to say bad things about you, even though they're crooked and perverse, because you are shining this blameless light to them, making, showing them Christ in a wicked world. Your behavior is not hidden. That's the thing. You put the basket over the light. No, you don't, you can't do that. Your behavior is not hidden. As a Christian, people know you're a Christian, and, or if you're trying to hide it, when they find out, they're going to evaluate your actions, your words, and your behavior, and it's going to reflect on Jesus. Even if you're doing bad and wrong things, it's going to reflect on Jesus. So you have to be mindful of that uh, when you're doing things. Um, a while back, it's probably three, four years ago now, um, Pastor Matt had a troll on his Facebook. Now, this might be shocking, but if you're on Facebook, you know what a troll is? You're all smiling, but you don't want to like laugh. No one wants to be the one who knows. But a troll is basically somebody who just follows your posts and everything and is always causing trouble and saying negative things or saying, yeah, but what if or whatever. So Pastor Matt had this troll on his Facebook and those guys drive me crazy. I can't stand it. And so this one I'd been watching had been just popping up for about two weeks. Just on this post and that post. And just throwing little grenades in there and stuff like that. And so finally I was going to stand up for Pastor Matt. And I was going to let this guy have it. So I got on there and I'm just flaming this guy. Man, it was so good. So much truth. So much passion in my words from behind the computer. And I was like, for sure, Pastor Matt's going to read this and know that I got his back. I'm there for him, right? And he did, he, because we talked about it later. But somebody else in the church saw it too. Uh, the husband of a young new family that had just been going for about a month. And he called me too. And uh, he told me that um, he was surprised and, and disappointed to see a pastor of a church talking to somebody like that. And, and uh, he didn't know if he could go to a church like that. And so I fell on my sword. I apologized. I even got on the internet and apologized to that troll. You know, I did everything I could possibly do to try to fix this thing. And they still left the church. So I thought I was being witty and sharp. And I was going to give this guy what for and just put him in his place. uh, Even thinking I was defending Pastor Matt. And all I did was drive a family away from the church. Now, hopefully what they did is went and found another church. Where the pastors don't try to berate and belittle people on the internet. (laughs) And that they're doing fine. That's the hope, right? But we certainly drove them out of here because of my behavior. Now, 
I thought I was justified. Clearly I was not. It certainly was not worth it. What I should have done and what you can do next time somebody's trolling Pastor Matt is just send him a message and say, hey, I saw it. I disagree with that. I love you. I support you, whatever. And then he's going to feel supported, but you don't have to destroy the name of Jesus Christ in the process. Learn from me and my mistakes. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29 through 32. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. I probably should have read that before I posted. So maybe that will help you out later today. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving uh, one another. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. It would have been much better if I would have extended some grace that to this person as Christ has extended to me. Now here's another social media tip. If somebody's acting crazy another Christian, whatever, and you really feel like it's important that you address it, send them a private message and address it. Really. You don't need to post on their post and then put them on blast. So a couple little things, little tricks to the trade. Um, I'm off Facebook now. I clearly cannot handle it. <laughs> but for you, if you're willing to walk in that world, it's a helpful hint. Your attitudes and behavior not only reflect on Jesus, though, they also reflect on your church and the church. You have to remember this before you pick up your megaphone and seek to be per- seek personal satisfaction in being heard. It's important. Now, my last point is this. The shining of your light is so that God can be glorified. Jesus is, uh, is using the example of salt and light not to be clever, but to be clear about his main point. Right before he talks about salt and light in these uh, verses, we see in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, what just preceded this that he's speaking to the disciples about. It said, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Now, if they say it uh, for good reason, because you're being a jerk, then this is all bets are off. But if you are uh, uh, doing things in the name of the Lord and for his sake, and they uh, falsely accuse you and persecute you and revile you, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. When you are seasoned like salt and shine like a light, even through the worst of times, you bring glory to God in the eyes of others. How you behave reflects on the God you serve. And so it, it totally is the case, and, and, and you can't separate the two. I think of um, sometimes two parallel worlds for people is their, their church family type life and then their work life. Because work's kind of a different environment for a lot of people. But uh, the people I work with know that I'm a pastor. They know that. Shoot, the chiefs were coming to church here for like a year. I don't know if you met them. Uh, they both have taken uh, bigger, better jobs elsewhere in the country. Um, so they're doing great. But um, but they know I'm a pastor. So the way I behave and the way I act is going to reflect on that. And they're going to evaluate the value of Christianity or the value of pastors 
based on how I react and respond to things. So we've had this kind of a trying year, you know, with the pandemic. Um, and so I look at my behavior this year in terms of uh, how how things were uncomfortable or things keep changing. I mean, at work for a while there, there was new policies and procedures. Every day I showed up to work, there was something new. Do this now. We got uh, temperature checks twice a day. We have to fill out this uh, tracking sheet. We, we have to wear masks at work now. And there's all these different things. And every day it's something new, something more uncomfortable, something that feels like a sacrifice. And I look at how I've responded to this whole thing over the course of time. I've been dismissive. I've been disrespectful. I've been critical. Uh, I've been rebellious against the leadership. They say, hey, do this. And I'm like, ah, I'm just putting it off in front of my troops and, and acting like it's no big deal or we don't need to do it. What's the reflection they're gaining from my leadership when I do that? I've been insulting. I have not been long-suffering or forgiving. I've told those around me. Uh, that that it's okay to be disrespectful and rude and disobedient. And so they're connecting that with knowing that, well, it's Pastor Jay. So if anybody's a reflection of Christianity, right? I mean, have you ever, had, have you ever heard somebody, uh, even a non-believer, say something like, I thought you were a Christian. Yeah. If, anybody, if you have a non-believer walk up to you and say, I thought you were supposed to be a Christian, don't be offended. Take a step back and figure out what you're doing wrong that even a non-believer can see that you're screwing this thing up. It's a good heads up. Matthew 5.16 says this, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. How can you convince your coworker that Jesus can change, that Jesus has changed your life if you still act like the world? The answer is you can't. Our actions, our responses, our priorities should tell the world around us that we love and trust a merciful Savior, not that our comfort is more important than our character. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. The point is, is that you're not hiding your light of Jesus. If you're out there and you were showing your good works and you're living like a Christian, like you should be, uh, like according to the Bible, then even when people try to hate on you and throw shade over your light and, and, and uh, criticize you as an evildoer, that light shines bright and still glorifies God. And other people are going to be like, I hear what you're saying, but he's a pretty good dude. And he seems to believe what he's talking about. They can't put shade over your light if you're shining your light for Jesus. God's going to get the glory of this. Colossians 3, chapter 12 through 14. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, you must also do. But above all of these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. God gets the glory when we treat each other the way we're supposed to treat each other. Take your faith seriously today. The world is watching you. It's a sacrifice to live for Jesus. I know you figured this out. It's a sacrifice to have to swim against the, the stream, to do things differently than other people do. And everybody says that this is okay. They're making excuses for it. The community has agreed that you, that this is okay. The Bible says that's not okay. And you have to be the one that says, nope, 
I'm not doing what everybody else is doing. It's a sacrifice, but it can never match the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us. My last verse is this, Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hilltop cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why don't you bow your head? Now, maybe you're in here and this is the first time you really heard uh, about being a Christian. Maybe uh, you, you didn't understand what it means to be a Christian. But let me tell you, giving your life to Christ is not a complicated process. It's not easy, but it's not complicated. First, you have to admit that you're a savior who needs a sinner. You have to see the error of your ways and know that Jesus Christ is that savior, the only way to heaven, our only hope at salvation. Then you have to confess that to the Lord, ask for forgiveness and repent and turn away from your wicked ways. That's it. Now, if you want to do that for the first time today, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and become a Christian today, I want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. I want to have somebody pray for you. So if today is your day and you're like, this is it, this is my moment, I'm going to follow Christ. I'm going to uh, ask for forgiveness and walk in repentance. If that's you today, why don't you raise your hand at me and let me know that you want to give your life to Jesus Christ today. Praise God. Praise God. Anyone else? Now, if you'd be comfortable today, I'd love to have you come up front and have somebody pray with you. Uh, pray with you and um, to receive the Lord. Um, if, you know, as I sometimes, you know, Billy Graham used to say, if, if you can't walk up in front of a group of saved people and say that you, I want to give your life to Christ, then how are you going to fight against the world? But no guilt in it. Now, maybe you're in here today. And uh, this message spoke to you and really let you know that um, you have been focusing on the wrong things. You've been walking the wrong direction and you want to make a turn in your life. I want you to take a moment just to say a prayer to the Lord and say, Lord, forgive me for my wicked ways, for focusing on the wrong things, for not being an example for you. And he will forgive you. You can leave today and be that shining light that you knew you were supposed to be, but you forgot about. And now you know about again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We just give you all praise and glory. Let us shine your light, Lord God. Let us be that seasoned with the truth of your word, Lord, that we can go out and represent you well. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We give you glory in your holy name. Amen. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.